Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sycamore. With me is Benjamin Solak from the Draft Network. Not just Ben. I am as well. Just making sure that's clear to everybody out there. It is a Wednesday edition of Lockdown NFL Draft, which means it is time for the Watchers of Wednesday pod, where Ben and I, along with you guys, the allies of the pod, go through the NFL and really comb through the finer details of why we saw the results we did in the previous week. But before we get there, we got a message from our friends at Visa who are reminding us to help support our local businesses, whether it's corner stores, coffee shops, favorite local shops, local businesses have always been there for us on our team, supporting us in our community. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So now it's our turn to be there for them. Next time you go shopping, make sure it is at a local business and look for the contactless symbol and tap and pay with the contactless Visa to help support your local community because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. Ben, before we get it rolling here, I'll open it up to you and I'll say, how are you, my friend? I'm well. Everything is delicious. Are you watching Bill's Titans or are you watching The Bachelor? Are like out of the corner of my right. eye or what? I'm mean, no, we're... like this for the entire day we've been debating if we're going to be watching Bill's Titans or if we're going to be watching The Bachelor. Oh, no. These are two things of equal importance. No, I'm watching The Bachelorette, 100%. <sighs> oh, my goodness. It's not a good show. It's not entertaining. It's not fun. No, I don't like no, it. No, that's not. I mean, like, that's just not even not even true. I mean, you, you can't you can't say that it's not entertaining. It's entertaining. It's, it makes me very. It's very stressful. No, no, no. no. It's one hundred percent stressful. Things, it, doing dumb things. Right. It is idiots doing idiotic stuff, saying idiotic Except for things. Mike. When Mike went on, Mike was great. Yeah. Big shout out, PFF Mike, Repre- <laughs> representing football Twitter well. Um, I feel like you know what, Mike did not get the FaceTime he deserves, and you know what, that goes back to the core of probably the reason why you don't like the show because Mike was too much of a normal person to really stand out on that show. I'm here for you, Mike. I'm planting my flag and saying that you should have got a better, a more fair shake at that show because the show is not about falling in love. It's about getting as many Twitter followers and Instagram followers as you possibly can, and I wanted that for him. But uh, no, I, I I figured that you probably would not be a bachelorette guy, so that's this isn't really shocking. Yeah, it's overwhelming to me, but to each your own. Glad it's a fun Tuesday night on the old tube, baby, on that television. <laughs> Loving it. <laughs> the old, on the on the wireless. Great. The old, the old tube. Nobody has an actual tube TV anymore. Do you? No, they don't. But that was no, but that was a fun way to call televisions, man. Listen, it's totally tubular out here. Okay, we gotta get to some of these these notes that we have. You and I have uh some topics that we have really Taking a deep dive into that I know that we have a lot of notes on. I'll let you start first. You've got three different uh, film topics that we're going to talk about today. Which one do you want to start with here? Uh, let's go with the Miami Dolphins running game. Uh, it's the top of my list. It was one of the things that caught my eye during the going like go, go watching football on, on Sunday and just going through and, and popping you know red zone, seeing this, seeing that, seeing the other thing. Obviously, the Dolphins' passing game was the name of the game, was the story of the game against the San Francisco 49ers. Their running game did not contribute as much. With that said, over the last couple of weeks, this backfield, which many believed was going to belong to some amalgam of Jordan Howard and Matt Breda and, you know, freaking Kalen Balazs, who was still around. Amalgam? Yeah, some, some... You know, conglomerate. Did you really just say hitherto undreamt of? No, I didn't say that. You know what that's a reference to, right? Nope. Oh, my Lord. It's from Infinity War. It's the beginning of Infinity War. When he he talks about what Thanos is going to do, and he says he's going to bring destruction hitherto undreamt of, and then Iron Man's like, did you really just say hitherto undreamt of? And that's sometimes how I feel. 
Yeah, you you pull a lot more quotes almost successfully than I do. I feel like I've seen that movie twice, and you've seen it like fifteen times. Oh, I need you to get those numbers up. You better get those <laughs> yeah, numbers those, up before those are numbers in this Friday. Friday. I'm demanding it because we might get some questions we need to talk about. Anyway, sorry, didn't mean to derail. You thought you'd be able to handle that pitch a little bit better. Guess not. Dolphins run game. So Dolphins run game uh, through last season, right? This was largely uh, Kalen Balaj's backfield. Uh, Patrick Laird became a big part of the backfield in the second half of the year. They obviously were Ken- Kenyon Drake was their primary runner before he was traded away. They tried Mark Walton for a couple of weeks. And then to end the season, it was Laird. And the guy spelling Laird was this seventh round pick out of Washington named Miles Gaskin, who Ben was a big fan of Miles Gaskin coming out. And Gaskin was a, was a very smart runner who has the necessary contact balance and angles and quickness to maximize blocking schemes. He does not have home run ability because he doesn't have a ton of long speed. He came to the combine too heavy and ran too slow. And he talked a lot in this past offseason about how he bulked up and how he was taking care of his body and what and how he was trying to get quicker and get faster while still staying strong. When he comes out week one of this year and he takes the majority of the snaps in the backfield and, and they're, they're still rotating – Jordan Howard in there uh, on the red zone reps, and they're still, you know, got Matt Breida in there. But Gaskin was their primary back, and he has been now through the first five weeks of the season. And this running game is working. He had nine carries and seven carries in the first two weeks, then 22 carries against Jacksonville, 10 carries against Seattle, and 16 against San Francisco. Uh, His efficiency has gone down, but he's averaging about four yards per carry so far this season. Uh, And he's been a big part of the running game as well. He's never had less than four targets, and he's got five receptions in three of his last four games. Gaskin has become very much what we were hoping he was going to become out of college, which means he's probably still a committee back, but he's extremely smart wastes no time, does not take negative gains, and he has the quickness, strength, and explosiveness now in his second year of the league kind of getting his body where it needs to be to to compete against NFL-caliber players that he is making guys miss. I mean, he's breaking the first tackle. He's picking up hitting yardage. He's a really wonderful creator, even though he's not a top-tier athlete. We usually think about creators as top-tier athletes. He's a wonderful creator because... He's so clever and he's so smart and he's such a quick processor that like he's breaking guys down in space just because of how much quicker he's mentally processing, how much quicker he's deciding than what they're used to. Meanwhile, you have a Miami Dolphins offensive line that uh, you know in- endured a massive retooling across the course of the the 2019 offseason. Uh, you know, multiple picks that they spent. Solomon Kinley becomes their day one starter at right guard. All of a sudden, they're putting Robert Hunt in for his first start at right tackle to account for injury. This These guys can move people off the ball. I mean, is it the best offensive line you ever saw, Trevor? Absolutely not. Was it the San Francisco 49ers beat up uh, defensive line? Yes, it was. But Solly Kindley, Robert Hunt, and even Eric Flowers, man, at left guard, who, like, you know, the Flowers contract was a little bit of like, a, mm, what are we doing here? But those guys, Ted Karras, the center, like, they got movement in the running game. Their doubles are nice, it's good timing. Kinley and, and Hunt are big boys, right guard, right tackle. And they were washing down when they were backside of the line. Their double team at three tech up to the mic. I mean, it was just bang, bang, bang. Quan Alexander could not deal with the physicality coming at him vertically. And, and, Gaskin's like 5'9". Nobody can find the dude behind this offensive line. He's so good at setting up blocks. Has been since his time at Washington. So power running, gap running, pulling guys. They got Chandler Cox, that old H back from Auburn like four years ago. He's their fullback now. Pulling guys, getting guys into the hole. They got Miles Gaskin, who's just perfect timing on these concepts. Very difficult to find in those short areas. He's so quick and he's so small and he's so fast. Physical up front. A back that doesn't mess around, and all of a sudden you have yourself an effective, maybe not explosive, maybe not top tier, but effective running game for a team last year that had like no offensive line talent, was juggling running backs for the whole season. So quick turnaround using the guys that they've got. You know, they got a fourth rounder starting. So a little bit of bargain bin diving, but they're making it work out there. So, I mean, shout out to the Miami Dolphins passing game. That was the story of the win against San Francisco. Ryan Fitzpatrick's playing well. I get all that. But their running game and the way that offensive line's coming off the ball deserves a little bit of credit as well. I am not going to lie. thought Matt Breida would play more of a role. I thought when, when Matt right. Breida was traded over to Miami, I was like, okay, he is going to be the guy. We're about to free Matt Breida because it was 
Mostert, who was going to be the guy in San Francisco, and we knew that, but I thought Breeder was really underrated, and I thought that he was going to come to Miami and just kind of light things on fire, but uh, it's been Gaskins who's kind of been leading the way here. Side note, as I'm looking at this Miami box score from this past Sunday, what round should Lynn Bowden have really been picked in? Because Lynn Bowden is oh, now already oh, on his on his oh, second oh, second everybody. team. Everybody, oh Lynn Bowden, so good, Ben. Lynn Bowden's gonna be a gadget player, Ben. Ben, you got Lynn Bowden too low. He's gonna be a running back, a wide receiver, a quarterback, <laughs> and a safety all at once, Ben. You are you mad. You are mad. Yeah, because I took so much guff for being like not all the way insanely high on Lynn Bowden because people are like, oh, this is so cool. He's such a good story. He's just, he's just a good runner. He's just a good runner. He's a good college space runner. Could he's, could be something year or two down the road, but it's going to take time. Yeah, not for Mike Mayock. Yeah, not, not going to be something for Mike Mayock. That is true. I just like, so he was, I mean, he was drafted in the third round. Honestly, like I'm asking this question, like where should Lynn Bowden have been drafted? Because now he's Wrestling. on his, he's on his second team now already. And like if, the the team originally drafts you if they had a plan for you you're just not that and they move on from you like that's kind of an, that's kind of excusable like you just never know with some guys especially players who might be a little bit indifferent where their position like Bowden was but he comes to a Miami running back room that like I said before I, I thought that Breida was going to be the main guy here and it ends up being Gaskins and it's like they they've had Jordan Howard too and so it, it's it's not like it was a dominated running back room. He probably would have had his chance to get his carries. And again, I'm not like dogging the dude's career and saying that he's going to be nothing here, but it's clear that early on in his career, it's going to take a little bit more time than just like putting Lynn Bowden on the field and making magic happen. I, I'm, I'm curious, like what, what round do you think that he should have been drafted in? I, I probably, I think I had a, a four on Bowden. Okay. He obviously went like early three. I mean, like, I, I have a four in him as an athlete. I think he's an interesting gadget player. I probably would have taken him, yeah, like early day three, especially if I hadn't taken any offensive weaponry to that point. Um, I, it's it, To me, it's unfair to judge anything he's done on the Dolphins because he, for a player like him who's moved around so much position-wise, to not even be there on install during the limited training camp, I mean, he's so far behind the eight ball. Uh, and, and all the plays that he's got are going to just be package plays. They're going to be Lynn Bowden plays, the Lynn Bowden chapter of the playbook. So I'm much more interested in what Bowden becomes after the Dolphins say, you are a running back. You're going to be a running back for the next two years. Learn it and see how that goes. So I'm more interested in Bowden in 2021 and beyond. Right now, he's clearly a guy that's going to, you know, the Dolphins wanted to, to make the long-term investment more so than any short-term gain by, by acquiring him from Las Vegas. I do love Lynn Bowden, though. So I, I do I do seriously wish him well. The first topic that I am talking about today, Derek Carr's deep ball, okay? After really pulling his weight in the Raiders' big win this past weekend over the Kansas City Chiefs, I wanted to make sure that I went back and I watched Carr because I, I didn't have that game on one of my TVs. It was on red zone, and I just continued, they just kept popping back, and it felt like every time they did, Carr was taking a deep shot down the field, and I was like, all right, here we go, Derek Carr. In order to start this article that I wrote about Carr and his, and his um, I don't want to say deep ball issues, just deep ball tendencies, I went back and I watched some Fresno State highlights. I wanted to remember what it was like watching Fresno Derek Carr. Carr. Yes, and I, so I wanted to go see what it was like for Carr at Fresno State. 2012-2013. In 2012, he threw for over 4,000 yards, I think had 37 touchdowns and 7 interceptions. In 2013, he had 50 touchdowns, over 5,000 yards, and like eight interceptions. The dude was a gunslinger. Casual. I'm out here watching these YouTube highlights, and I'm like, who is this? Yeah, he had, he had this kid named Devontae Adams. You may have heard it, of him. It is wild that he that Devontae Adams is on that team, too, and it's, it's crazy that the, those guys were paired together in college. But, like, Carl was fearless. He was a gunslinger. He was in no way afraid to push that ball down the field, and he had a he had a yards per uh, attempt average of, I think just under eight. I know it was over seven for sure. But when you look at how many passing attempts Carr had, like that average was still fine. He gets to the NFL and he had some injuries that he dealt with, and uh, certainly the roster probably wasn't what it needed to be, especially after Crabtree and Cooper were gone. But the numbers weren't great. He became this game manager label kind of a player, and so much more than or it was it was much more of that he mentally just didn't want to attempt a deep ball. Not that he physically right. couldn't do it, because that's right. always been the narrative with Carr. It's like, 
oh, like he's bad at the deep ball. Like this guy, he like he won't push it down the field, blah, blah, blah. But like that's the part. It's the part that we know he can probably do it even still after that back injury. He just doesn't do it. And when I went back and I watched 2018 and 2019, and I looked up the stats of him in his first years with Gruden as head coach, he took a leap in terms of efficiency when he had Gruden, when Gruden right. came in to be his head coach. He moved from low 60 completion percentage to 68 and then 70, respectively, were the two numbers that he had in completion percentage. He also passed for more than 4,000 yards for the first two times in his career. He also had interception percentages that were career that were almost career lows in those two seasons. And so Gruden, you could just tell if you go back that far, he, he was building Carr up. He was he was getting car comfortable. He was getting car confident. Now that they have weapons that they are comfortable with pushing the ball deep down the field, Gruden's calling it, and Derek Carr is willing to do it. the The situations in which Carr attempted deep passes this past Sunday, which I believe he was four for seven on deep ball, which was air yards of twenty yards or more without penalties involved, because I think he attempted eight, but one was to Darren Waller and is a penalty. So. Four for seven, two touchdowns. Both of his touchdowns came, well, I think he had three. Two touchdowns came from deep ball passes and over 219 yards. That was his deep ball stats. That's incredible. It was the best deep ball game of Carr's career. And when I went back and I watched all seven of those throws, they came at very different times. Third and two, third and 10, first and 10, second and seven. Like the script was so different every time. It's not like it was back against the wall, third and 12, obviously have to throw it, things like that. Carr was looking at the field and scanning the field. And of the times he was attempting it deep, he often didn't have to. There was, you know, like I'll, I'll put it to you this way. The first two deep balls that Carr had against Kansas City Chiefs, it was the Oh, the fourth play of the game, I believe, in which he hit Henry Ruggs on that first deep pass for, I think, 45 yards deep down the sideline. Now, look, it should have been six points and a touchdown, but he kind of like hung it up there and Ruggs had to come back and adjust for it, but Ruggs got it. Two plays later, they're in a second and seven situation right outside of the red zone. Now, old Derek Carr, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Ben, but like old Derek Carr, Probably could have looked at that situation and thought, all right, we're playing the Kansas City Chiefs. We need to get points on the board. Scoring points is how you win football games. I've already hit one big deep shot this drive. I don't need to test the waters too much here. I'm just going to hit an easy pass, get about five yards, get it to a manageable third and short. If we get it, great. We convert. If not, we can get the field goal. We're good to go. That felt like what Derek Carr would have done in the past. But instead, he had that option to hit Hunter Renfro over the middle of the field for about five yards and create a third and short. But instead, you know what he did? He had a wheel route that was that had a much bigger payout because it was going in the end zone. And that guy on the wheel route had his guy beat and he had him beat pre-snap and Carr noticed it and he took it and he pulled the trigger. And that was a moment that I watched in the game where I went, yes, there yes, it sir. is. There it is. Now Derek Carr is willing to take the deep shots. I'm not going to say that he's going to be out here being like Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or something in the next couple of weeks, but it's going to be better than it was before. Carr is already completing more passes than he had been previously, and his yards per attempt numbers are so far up this year. He is attacking it deep, and he's being consistent with it. And I'm just here to say that Carr and Gruden is becoming a great pairing, especially with the weapons that they have on that offense right now. Yeah, right. I think that this is... When you brought in Gruden, you hired him. Quarterback here is Derek Carr. What are you going to do with this guy? Like he had, he was there was a MVP campaign for the student in 2016, and here we are two years later, and it's just, you know, he's he's become just this average passer. He's become just this milk toast, not going to hurt you, not going to help you guy. And with Gruden, I'm I'm positive, given the way that Gruden's spoken about Carr and the way Gruden's spoken about his offense over the last two years that the plan was always to figure out how to get Carr to start attempting more explosive passes. And, we, and, and we've been harping on this and making jokes about it forever. We got this one game now, and if this is what it looks like, the Raiders' offense is legit. I don't want to pull you off your, uh, your topic here, Trev, but instant reaction breaking I see news. It. I see Jets it. cut Le'Veon Bell. We go to Trevor <laughs> Sikama for his thoughts. Um, 
future Tampa Bay Buccaneer Le'Veon Bell, right? Uh, after after what we've seen this <laughs> this yeah, offseason, yeah, yeah. LeSean McCoy gets cut by the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Leonard Fournette gets cut by the Jacksonville Jaguars, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Here we go, Le'Veon Bell. Come on down. No, I'm look. Jets are in trouble. Um, I know that's not breaking news on the podcast, but uh, you heard it here first. Anytime you reference the Jets being bad, you have to reference the Lockdown NFL Draft podcast. Yeah, Le'Veon yeah. Bell's talented, but clearly got more money than he was worth. His best years were clearly in Pittsburgh with that offense, him being a catalyst for. It's just never been a thing with the New York Jets. And I, I, I think... Correct me if I'm wrong, like, Gase never even wanted Le'Veon Bell, right? And they just kind of oh, no, signed never. him because he was there? I Like, something like that. Or or did Douglas sign him or did... I, th- I, thought, say, I, mean, I thought McCagnan signed him. No, no, yeah, no, Mike McCagnan signed him. Signed him. Yeah, yeah. Hey, here, here, just, I don't know if you've seen this yet, but how much dead how much dead cap are the Jets taking on by cutting him this year? Do you know? It's like $15 million, isn't it? It's 17 million. He's a 15.5 million cap hit this year. 17 million dead cap on this year if you cut him. And so they've already paid him X game checks from his salary. And then they're bringing on 17 million in dead cap from his future signing bonus and stuff. So they paid 17 million this year, which like the Jets cap doesn't matter this year. It's not actually a problem. It's just funny to get rid of Le'Veon Bell. Boy, you just hate to see it, Trev. That is just, I mean, it's, it's, oh man. Le'Veon at one point in time was just truly an offensive weapon in this NFL. You know, like he was, right. yeah, it's shame. Listen, if, if that, like if we were to learn anything from what Le'Veon Bell was with the Steelers and then what he was when he left the Steelers, it's if you're running back behind a Mike Munchak coach offensive line, do not leave the Mike Munchak coach offensive line. That Steelers running game, man, with that O-line was just so gnarly. And Bell was a good fit for it, too. And obviously, you know, he wanted to get himself paid, and that makes a ton of sense. But, uh, man, going from Munchak to whatever the Jets been doing the past two years is about <laughs> as, as uh, uh, you know, aggressive of a whiplash as you can experience. Yeah, no doubt. Guys, this football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day. No matter how you watch this season, Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These these passionate fans are the real generational talents that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Do you want to say something else on Derek Carr or did you want to go on to your next topic? I didn't want to cut you off there. No worries, no worries. I'll, I'll pop to my next one. All right, um, let's go. Josh Cowan, uh, who works for CBS and does NFL stuff. I don't really know exactly what his job is, but he's a good follow. Uh, defensive rush yards allowed before contact via PFF. Tampa Bay, 14. What up? Five games, Tampa Bay has allowed 14 rushing yards before they've contacted the runner. Absolutely insane. League average is 182. Third place is Denver with 96. You're saying, Ben, you told me first place, you told me third place. Who's second? The Pittsburgh Steelers have allowed 16 defensive rushing yards before contact. That is unbelievable. And as a as a Eagles fan who just watched the Eagles play the Steelers, I'm here with a take off of that take. Because it, it, it's very difficult to have 16 rushing yards allowed before contact. And that that's not about your linebackers, man. I mean, it is a little bit. They've got good linebackers. It's not about your safeties. It, I mean, it is a little bit. They got Mike Hillen coming off the edge. They got, you know, uh, Terrell Edmonds playing in the box, Minka playing deep. It is. I get it. I get it. The Steelers' defensive line is the best in the in the league. The Steelers' defensive line is number one. I didn't think we would be here after they lost Javon Hargrave. But it turns out all they have to do is sign Tyson Alualu and just, like, jack him up with Javon Hargrave juice or something because he's unbelievable. They play him as a tilted zero, uh, zero shade. Right, so right on the shoulder of the center, and then he, he tilts, so he's, his, his face mask is right on top of that snap hand of the center. And then he just shoots and immediately drives the center back. It makes it so difficult to get pullers across the center because of how much penetration he's getting there. Nonsense, good plays from the interior. Stefan Tuitt is playing maybe the best football I've ever seen from Stefan Tuitt, which is like an extremely high bar to clear because it's Stefan Tuitt. Cameron Hayward. 
true four tech, right? Playing big end five technique just cannot be handled by average tackles, above average tackles, good tackles in the trenches. His ability to disengage, right? To get your hands off of him. I don't, I think that I might be second to none in the league, Cameron Hayward. Oh man. He just, if he chooses to not be blocked by you anymore, you don't have an opinion. You don't have an influence here. Just he's made that decision now and you're gone. So his stack shed, it's him or a key mix. Like it's just the unbelievable hand usage from Cam Hayward. And then TJ Watt, they're playing TJ Watt as a middle linebacker. They just have TJ Watt two yards off the ball. Go chase whoever you want, TJ Watt. Go just do, do TJ Watt things. This is like one of the best pass rushers in the league, the Mike Linebacker. You have any idea how hard it is to handle TJ Watt's pulling guard? <laughs> He's 245 pounds with amazing hands. He's so strong. It's nonsense. Like it's uh, Seth Walter of ESPN said, it's like when when Houston used to put Clowney at linebacker. Like, there's no solution to this. Like we're supposed to have a hundred thousand different rules for the hundred thousand different ways you can line up. And then Bud Dupree is is for everything that Dupree is, has become and he's grown as a pass rusher. He's always been so physical, so violent, right? And so when he's an edge setter, I mean he is burying. Tight ends on split zone, sift blocks, jet motion. He just kills an edge. Like, you cannot get outside of him without going through a massive traffic jam. And then they got Devin Bush, and they got Vince Williams, and they got everybody else, I said. So I think the Steelers are the best defensive line in the league. And it's funny because they blitz so much that a lot of their pass rush success looks like it comes from that, and it does. But they get pressure so quickly not just because they're sending so many players, but because they have so many guys who can win one-on-one. And you really come to understand how good those guys are as one-on-one players when you see them in the trenches uh, 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 in the running game. So this, to me, especially with Vea going down, which really sucks for Tampa Bay, yeah. uh, to me, this is this is the best run-defending unit in, in the league, and this is the best defensive line in the league. Just dominant players. Uh, I got to watch so much of their film coming into this game, and then obviously watch the, the, the results of the Eagles game, and I just... I think this is the best defensive line, one of the best units, maybe, period, uh, in the league. They've been killing it. And Pittsburgh's off to an incredible start. Um, I remember t- talking to John Lettered, who listeners to this podcast know very well, and he follows the Pittsburgh Steelers. And you know, he was saying, like, uh, P- Pittsburgh has to regress off of how they started the, the season. I mean, it was just a, a godly pace that their defense was winning at. And I think it has gone down a little bit, but <laughs> I don't even know if I'd call it regression. I mean, they're just on fire. That whole right. unit. Man, Mike Tomlin it is, forever. Right. It, it is a good point that their pass coverage isn't what it was. And it's because Joe Hayden has taken a step back. Steven Nelson has taken two steps back. And then Mika Fitzpatrick is no longer playing like a spurned lover. You know what I mean? Like he's not the Miami just traded me. I ate everything Mika Fitzpatrick anymore. Like he's still good. But I don't think like Mika 2019 was a different breed. He was a different cat. Uh, and so they're not getting the same play as they did there. Mike Hilton's still playing great. I love Mike Hilton. He's awesome. Yeah. Um, but they're not getting the same play out of those guys. I don't know if that's something that they'll get later in the season. You know, those are veteran players. So a lot of them will, will maybe juice things up when it comes, you know, later in the season, get colder, start to be playoff time. Right now, they're just not getting the same in man cover that they were getting from their corners. But that front seven is still gnarly. Guys, Built Bar is back, and they have a brand new formula for all 18 of their bars, including six brand new flavors, which I got to say, I'm looking at BuiltBar.com right now. This Apple Almond Crisp bar looks incredible. My mouth is literally watering as I'm looking at it because I already know that the Built Bar bars are fantastic. They're great for your macros. They're pretty low in calories. I mean, they're not so low that... It's like you're eating air, but I think they're a great mix. They're a great mix of total calories, low in sugars, high in protein, the things that you could eat to start your day, right in the morning, right before a workout, right after a workout, something like that. But if you go over to BuiltBar.com, you're going to feel, you're gonna experience what I'm experiencing right now. You're going to look at these bars and you're going to go, God, I need one. I absolutely need one. And when you get to that point, use the promo code LOCKEDON, all caps, no spaces, Locked On, and you're going to get $20 off your next order. Head over to BuiltBar.com. Get yourself some of the best tasting protein bars on the planet. Use the promo code Locked On for twenty percent off over at BuiltBar.com. One more thing I got to talk about before we get to our next topic. It can be awkward and embarrassing talking about erectile dysfunction. Usually, we'll just brush it off or blame ourselves. But Roman is here to get you the advice that you want to help you out with no shame at all. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation, ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. A healthcare professional is going to work with you to find the best treatment plan, and if medication is appropriate, 
Roman will ship you real medicine for free with their two-day shipping. The whole process is really straightforward, simple, and discreet. You can get started by going over to GetRoman.com slash LockedOn and complete your online visit. Just go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOn, and you can also get up to $50 off your first month of ED treatment and a free online visit with that free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash LockedOn for up to 50% off your first month of ED treatment, GetRoman.com slash LockedOn. I popped on the Houston tape because you and I talked about this last week on Thursday's edition of the podcast when we were picking games. We were like, hey, you know, Houston's going up against Jacksonville. They just fired their head coach. They're in for a spark, right? They're in for a win. We're probably going to see a good Houston team. They scored the most points they have this season. They put up 30 on the Jacksonville Jaguars. I get it. It's the Jaguars. But I wanted to put on the tape, see if I saw a more relaxed, more confident, a more... I don't know, just like backyard style of having fun football from the Texans because it seemed like it was not that. I know they were playing good competition early on in the year, but it just it, it, it didn't seem like they were having a good time. They were straight up not having a good time. And so when I threw on the All-22 of the Jaguars-Texans game from this Sunday, I felt like I was seeing some guys on offense have a lot of fun. And I think you saw that a lot with Deshaun Watson. He was very relaxed. Mark Schofield, good friend of ours, friend of the pod, he pointed out how... Deshaun was just, he was playing backyard ball out there. Like, he he was manipulating these guys with his eyes. He was looking one way, knowing he was throwing the other. He was just, he was having a ball. He was relaxed, and I think that he was able to, well, the Texans got off to not the hottest start. Their first throw was awesome. But other than that, it, it was kind of a slow burn until they really started to come on later in the game. But it seemed like Deshaun was enjoying himself a lot more. But the guy that was the main benefactor of that was Brandon Cooks. Now, I feel bad for Brandon Cooks. I just want to say that because anytime Brandon Cooks does something good, Ben, what are Houston, Texas fans going to say? Yeah, but it's not DeAndre Hopkins. And so I do feel bad for Brandon Cooks, but he had his best game as a Houston Texan this past Sunday. Saw 12 targets, 8 catches, 161 yards, and a touchdown. All of those team highs. They were emphasizing him a lot, and the way that they were emphasizing him is what I wanted to focus on. They're putting... Brandon Cooks, a lot of times, right around the numbers. They were giving him plenty of space against a Jaguars defense that was challenging them a lot with man coverage to have those two-way goes, to break a route either to the left or to the right. There wasn't that towards-the-sideline kind of feel where the defender could use that out-of-bounds area as an extra angle of defense while playing in man coverage, being able to use leverage against him and things like that. There were a couple of plays where... The Texans did a great job manipulating the initial coverage look the Jaguars were doing. Like, for example, the very first play of the game for the Texans, they threw the ball to Brandon Cooks, and I believe it was a 36-yard game. What they were in was they were in a 3-by-1. They had three wide receivers, including one of the tight ends, to Watson's right. They had one wide receiver to his left with also the running back and the shotgun to his left. Jaguars were playing in close man coverage with a single high safety on the back end. Now, because the linebackers were shifted a little bit more towards the tight end side to the strong side, they had two linebackers in that area. They also had two cornerbacks. They had one who was in press very close to Brandon Cooks on the inside, and then they had a corner who was playing further off on the number one wide receiver because they didn't want them both being up at press because if you do that, there's a potential rub play or a pick play where you can just get sort like fumbled or run into the other guy and all of a sudden somebody's wide open. So you have your corner stand back a little bit further. Therefore, the safety was to the other side of the field because he was trying to help out the single-covered wide receiver. What the Houston Texans did before the snap is that they moved the number one receiver all the way to the other side of the line of scrimmage, leaving Brandon Cooks, who was in the slot, now as the only wide receiver to his right. And in doing so, that gave Cooks so much space to work with as a potential two-way player, and the corner could not handle him. He, he, he didn't know which way he was going. He was trying to play straight up with him. He wasn't able to get his feet moving quick enough, and Brandon Cooks was able to cook him deep down the sideline because he had that much space to work with. That continued to show up throughout the game, and I just wanted to continue to emphasize that Brandon Cooks, he's an athletic guy. He's a quick player. He's not the fastest deep down the field with that long speed, that final top gear, but he's plenty fast enough to where you put him in situations where you line him up right over the numbers, you give him those two-way go situations, and we saw what he can do. When you play man coverage against Brandon Cooks, and again, 
against the Houston Texans, that's what you can expect. It is a Cooks could go off kind of game unless you have a really physical corner who could disrupt what he's doing off the line of scrimmage. Because when you let him chop his feet and get you confused on which way he's going, Brandon Cooks reminded us this past Sunday how good he is when he is put in two-way go situations. And so I, I was very impressed with Cooks. Jaguars didn't really adjust. So that's kind of on them too. But good for Cooks. Had his best game as a Houston Texan. I know he's not DeAndre Hopkins, but... He was a fun watch this past Sunday. It's interesting, right? So the the you have Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, Kenny Stills, Randall Cobb. An objectively interesting and good wide receiver room, regardless of what existed beforehand, right? Like if you just history starts at, you know, August 15th, 2020, like, oh, the Houston's have a good wide receiver room, and I don't know anything before that. Of the three speedsters, because Randall Cobb is not one, Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, and Kenny Stills, Cooks is markedly the best route runner. And it's interesting, a lot of people anticipated a Will Fuller explosion, uh, or at least a step into, you know, wide receiver one some that has happened, right? Like, Will Fuller has been a dynamic player for the Texans. Cooks's role as likely has to continue adjusting for Fuller and for Stills. And this is not so much for Stills, because Cook's is a better player than Stills, but definitely for Fuller. And this is where you want a really trustworthy offensive coaching staff. And of course, as, as many of have liked to say, you know, oh, Bill O'Brien, the head coach, got, or Bill O'Brien, the GM, got Bill O'Brien, the head coach, fired. Yeah, but Bill O'Brien wasn't really good offensive coordinator, head coach either. Uh, if you're asking me, uh, that's up for debate. But they bring in a new offensive coordinator this year, a new you know kind of guy to call plays, which obviously Bill O'Brien took it back after like three weeks, um, who was their tight ends coach. That's Tim Kelly. You didn't really know what this was going to look like in this wide receiver distribution until we saw it. And obviously they've already endured a change on the offensive coaching staff. So it's very interesting to hear about how in the moment O'Brien leaves, Cook starts to become a little bit more featured because – the Cooks trade was contrived by many to be, a, uh, oh, I got rid of DeAndre Hopkins, but look at this, I got Brandon Cooks. So you would have guessed Bill O'Brien would have featured Brandon Cooks, but he never really mm-hmm. did. Right. And then when he left, now all of a sudden it becomes a feature part. So I think that there's probably still going to be more upheaval. There's probably still going to be more try this, see what sticks to the walls. They try to figure out what their best route distribution is in this wide receiver room because it's an interesting group. They got a lot of speed in there, and they got to figure out who's going underneath, who's going vertical, and who it is that Deshaun likes where. Third topic, what do you got? Yeah, my last topic is more so an open question than it is anything that's you know particularly like definitive. A lot of people are asking the, can Andy Dalton take the Dallas Cowboys to the playoffs? You know, which implies that like Dak Prescott could have, which I agree with. Dak was going to have to have a heroic game after a heroic game after a heroic game after a heroic game in order to do so because of the state of the defense. As many others have, have continued to note, not only is Dalton unlikely to continue delivering as many heroic games, but he's also, you know, there, there's a significant question to his ability to operate the offense because of the state of the offensive line. They've endured injuries to Lyle Collins, Tyron Smith on the offensive line. Those tackles that they've had to replace have been really shoddy through the first five weeks of the season. Prescott is a great pocket manager who does a good job operating outside of the pocket. Andy Dalton is not so much the same thing. Uh, and he kind of, he's, he's, he's a good pocket manager, but he's also older. And when you're older, you're just less spry. Um, from 2017 for PFF, uh, Andy Dalton was one of the worst passers in terms of how his passer rating changed, pressure to non-pressured, right? In the 2016 season, he went from 91.8 to 57.1 when under pressure, 76.2 when blitzed. Dalton's never been the guy that you want in an offense. He is a quality pocket passer. He's got some mobility. He's got some scoot to him. You know, TCU, they ran the option with him, whatever. But he's always been a better pocket passer, and he has not been a guy that you've liked as a creator outside of structure. The Cowboys passing game can sustain that sort of player. They've got the wide receivers to do the quick game stuff. They've got Tony Pollard, who can be a really good scat protection back for you. Catch some ball. Ezekiel Elliott leads the league right now in routes run among running backs. So, like, they've got him as, you know, they're willing to send the running back out to throw him underneath, so on and so forth. 
they can work that, you're going to lose the explosive aspect of the offense there a little bit unless you're really able to continue leading in on this Dalton-Gallup connection that we saw a little bit of, obviously, when Dalton played for like a quarter and a half against the— or excuse me, uh, just a quarter against the Giants. So, like, like my thought on Dalton stepping in for Dak is like, yeah, you probably can get a quality offense out of this mm-hmm. if you just don't look at the offensive line. But this offensive line was going to continue to be a huge problem for the offense, even more so— potentially then the defense was going to be a problem for the team as a whole. This offense was going to or offensive line, excuse me, was going to be a problem for the team as a whole. And that's exacerbated by the presence of a quarterback like Dalton, who yes, is a veteran and yes, will try to be risk averse, but just does not have the escapability that a player like Dak did. And I think that's right. what matters the most. I think you're going to start to see the short game then become a lot more featured. I think you're going to see Pollard and lamb become a lot more important. Cooper's going to become a lot more important and Gallup might start to fall away and you're going to lose that vertical shot aspect. When you lose that vertical shot aspect, boy, if you thought it was tough digging out of 14-point holes earlier, when you're not chunking, when you're not hitting CeeDee Lamb 17-yard dig routes with consistency, <laughs> you know it, it, it becomes even a tougher road to how uh, this idea that they're going to run the football more and that's going to help them is absolutely ludicrous. The, the Cowboys need games to be as long as possible to get as many drives as possible, and <laughs> running the football is not going to do that for them. Uh, this defense, obviously, is, is a big issue, and so... I I do not have a definitive answer. Can the Cowboys make the playoffs with Dalton? I think they can continue to get a workable offense out of him. I just think the other problems on the roster might be too much to overcome. Yeah. I think I think I'm I think I'm right stride and stride with you. Like I, I don't think this is going to be catastrophic for them, which is weird to say knowing how good Dak is, but the ceiling of the team just goes so far down. I think the floor of the team, I guess given given their unfortunate record, it's it's not that big of a stretch to say that the floor of the team doesn't get much lower, but I think the ceiling does, and that's what's important. And that's what Dak brings you. That's what you lose with Dak. You lose the ability to be a team that can compete no matter who's lining up on the other sideline. That's something that Dak gives you that even the, even the people who love Andy Dalton and think that he could be good in this Dallas offense and he could get him places and win some games, like that's the part that hurts. That's the part that hurts the most is like he's he's going to be holding you back relative to what you could have had with Dak Prescott. Now, the rest of the team was not up to where it needed to be for that to become wins to really achieve that ceiling, even with Dak playing on fire. So it was a weird year in that regard. And in that case, I, I think that, you know, if the Dallas Cowboys were like 4 and 1 5 and 0 oh. I think that even if it's the, in the same exact conversation people aren't talking about Andy Dalton in the same way you know like they they'd be talking about how much of a blow this is when in reality like Dak has been playing well enough for that to have been the case I just feel like the narrative would have totally flipped had the defense not been almost historically bad in Dallas because Dallas because Dak was playing so well and I feel like I've read a lot of Andy Dalton praise over the last couple of weeks, and he's not the worst backup quarterback in the world. In fact, that he's he's yeah. probably one of the better ones. But when it comes to the ceiling of this All team, right, let, what let's it also been, not forget, right? Like, there's a reason this dude was available for the Cowboys to sign as a backup, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, that that's where I I, I kind of am with you on that. Let's turn it over to the allies of the podcast. Uh, the the you guys had some thoughts that we wanted to make sure we got into the show. It's two ones that we're going over today. Both of them, some offensive line critiques. Jack from the premium slack, he said, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers need a new left tackle. Donovan Smith has took a bit of a step forward. He he took a bit of a step forward last year. Still wasn't great, but he was at least okay. He looked like the contract that he signed might not be complete albatross. Nice word, or nice use of the word albatross. But that step forward has evaporated this year and then some. He's committed four holding penalties, three false starts in the first five weeks, and I believe that Smith's inability to block anyone one-on-one this year is why we were unable to give Worfs more help against Mack in the Chicago game. It's a good observation. His footwork is sloppy. He plays soft. He doesn't have the astonishing physical tools that the players need to get away with the technique as bad as his. Smith can be cut to save $14.25 million this offseason with no dead money which would pay for about 75% of Levante David's new contract or Shaq Barrett by himself. He has to go. I think this is the last year that Donovan Smith is playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Jack. Um, yeah, that's, that's been your stance for a while now. Yeah, and 
look from from covering the team closely when I worked at Peter Report, I understood why they continue to want to believe in him in, in him because one, he's healthy all the time. He's very available. He's never hurt. I think he's missed one game in his entire career. So he's always there. He has improved a little bit, but the core of what Donovan Smith is really has not changed. He can really handle some pass rushers on certain plays, but he looks completely lost. He looks completely disinterested, and he looks too soft to play the position in other ones. I try to be fair to to offensive linemen as much as I can. These guys play 60-ish snaps a game, and we'd love to point out the two or three ones that look awful, when in reality they are asked to do their exact job 60 times a game. So I try to be as fair as I can with that. But there are offensive linemen in the NFL, especially at left tackle, especially for as much money as Donovan Smith is making, that do not make the same Uh mental mistakes that he does. The Bucs love him because he's athletic. He can move well, he's shifty, but he's not strong enough. He's just, he's he's not. And I, I think that he fades weakly. And that's not something you can have your franchise left tackle doing. What so do you I, mean? What do you mean by fades weekly? Like he gets worse as the game goes on? No. When I say that he fades weekly, I mean that there will be two or three times in almost every single contest where you go, dude, you can't, like you can't. That can't happen. And 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 it's just that's what I mean. Like he will fade from what is expected of him two or three times a game, and that's just too high of a number. It can't be for Donovan Smith. I agree with Jack. They save a lot of money by cutting him. I think it's inevitable. Tristan Wirfs has played so well. He is now giving you the option to potentially move him over to left tackle. However, you are picking up another offensive tackle, however it might be this offseason. But I do think that this is Donovan Smith's last year in Tampa Bay. Yeah, like I said, I think you've been saying this for all, a sense like, you know, they picked Wirfs and trying to figure out what that entire offensive line was going to look like. You just... It doesn't look like they're going to try to extend it's too much Donovan money. Smith. It wouldn't yeah. make sense for them. Um, they're going to draft a guy. They're going to go free. I imagine they'd go free agency, right? Capitalize on Brady's last year. Right. So I would think that if they can get themselves a solid right tackle in free agency, that would be the move. Like that's what they want to do because mm-hmm. where drafting a right tackle in the first round would be probably great for the future of the organization. Like you would have Tristan Wirfs playing on the left side, a first round rookie playing at right tackle to set yourself up for years and years and years. What you just said matters a lot. Next year might be Brady's last year. And at the very best scenario, he's playing well for another two years. Like how much are you really putting stock into finding another gem of a Tristan Wirfs at right tackle that's going to be incredible for you in order to get you to a goal of a Super Bowl? Probably not likely. So I think that their goal would be to sign a veteran right tackle in free agency. That's what I believe. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, Marcus is our other one. Marcus actually sent us some audio, so uh, I'm going to play that right now. It's still on the offensive line. It's about rookie Andrew Thomas. Okay, I need to make the case for Andrew Thomas because he was a top five player in 2020 for me, and he has just been playing awful so far this season. But I don't think that this is the end of the world. A lot of the things that made Andrew Thomas good while he was in college were his intelligence and not so much his just pure athleticism. And currently, watching the film, the thing that he's getting beaten with is just pure athleticism. The NFL is so much faster, they're all so much stronger than what he's used to, and you can see in his kick slide especially, he is just kind of frantic, doesn't really know what he's doing. But I think as the game slows down... He is going to get much better, and I think he's going to develop into a good tackle. Also, Giants offensive line is just god-awful, and Daniel Jones has a really, really bad habit of just running straight into pressure, even when Andrew Thomas is blocking well, and with the interior giving up as much land as they are, he just can't really run people around the back of the pocket like most tackles can, because the back of the pocket is 25 yards down backwards because the interior is so bad. So I don't think Andrew Thomas is, you know, done for. I think that there is a lot to be, like, promising in his game. He just needs some time. And so we could all stop freaking out about him playing badly. Ben, what do we think about Marcus's take? Stop freaking out about Andrew Thomas's play, or is there reason to get worried here? 
Yeah, in general, five games in, don't freak out, right? Like, that's your overall rule. Uh, I can understand why for Giants fans. Worf's playing well, Beckton playing well, Will's playing well, Thomas playing horrible, and you drafted Thomas before all three. Really is rough. So I, I, it, it is difficult. And, and, I, I, so I, and I agree with what Marcus is saying there. The offensive line itself is so bad. What I would also add is Andrew Thomas played on a Georgia offense that was very frequently coming downhill off the ball, very frequently had a tight end lined up next to him. And now we are in a Giants extremely spread offense under Jason Garrett, right? You're very frequently bringing Evan Ingram off of the formation. And they're going to be leaving him on an island and not helping him at all because they have nothing better at right tackle. And they got Andrew Thomas at left tackle. He's kind of the best option they've got between the two. And so he doesn't get necessarily as much help as he potentially could. So I agree. I think that on the list of problems you've got in the Giants offense, how they're using the weapons is one. The way Daniel Jones is playing is two. And then Andrew Thomas and the concerns on that offensive line in general are probably three. I don't think he's your biggest problem. I do think he'll get better as the year goes on. I was extremely high on Andrew Thomas coming out. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the point that Marcus made where he doesn't necessarily win a ton with athleticism. I mean, he tested really well. Uh, And so I think that as he picks up the game, I think athletically he'll be able to check the boxes he needs to check. So I've still got faith in Andrew Thomas. You know, five bad games on a bad team isn't going to throw me off too much. But I mean... He's playing really poorly, and that's frustrating to see. Yeah, I really liked Andrew Thomas as well. Um, I remember Kyle wasn't the biggest fan of his. I think Kyle still had a first-rounder on Andrew Thomas. Maybe he didn't, um, but I, I know that he liked a lot of the offensive linemen in this class better. But I do just think that Thomas is being overwhelmed right now. Like, he he just does not look comfortable, and he does, he's not playing confident. And anytime you're not playing confident in the NFL, whether it's an offensive tackle, at quarterback, at running back, at corner, at linebacker, I don't care what it is. If you're not playing with confidence— you're not going to play well. The game moves too fast. These guys are too good. They're too big. They're too strong. And so Andrew Thomas is feeling it right now. He's taking his early lumps, and you hope that uh, these are things that he's able to not get discouraged about, but rather be motivated about, uh, learn from, and and really start to show off some some really nice talent. That's Watchers Wednesday for this week's episode. Tomorrow, Ben and I are going over every single game of week six in the NFL, giving you our picks and predictions. We're going to be highlighting all of the major matchups, everything you need to get you ready to watch NFL football this weekend. That's tomorrow. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Locked on NFL Draft.